0: Welcome to Rock Facts, the uh, podcast where we talk about facts about Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Um, today's fact is that Dwayne the Rock Johnson was Tim Burton's second choice for the role of Willy Wonka in Charlie and the Choco Factory. Just
1: kidding, happy Halloween.
0: Well, actually, it's, it says so on IMDb.
1: IMDb is a false site. Just kidding, happy Halloween. Just kidding, happy Halloween. So instead of joining the Rock Johnson facts, we're actually talking about Over the Garden Wall, which is a mini series that premiered in 2014, and we're nine episodes in. I don't need to explain that to everyone again. I'm Brian Hamilton. That's Allison Trujic, and we're talking about episode nine. We're almost done.
0: Episode nine is my favorite episode.
1: Really, more so than uh, Auntie Whispers or uh, or Potatoes and Molasses.
0: I think this episode, the first time I saw it, was what really like let me know that I was in for something really special.
1: Well, because. Okay, so let's jump right in. The train is the medallion for this episode. This is something we've never talked about before on the show. Every episode has a little insignia at the very beginning. Uh, The main opening titles have all of them in a border around the main logo. But this is the one where a train is the main one for this episode. Because, as we see at the very end, they almost get hit by a train. And everything in this episode is designed to be a punch in the gut
0: yeah it's it's kind of like oh did you think that you were on a on a um, wonderful journey with two boys just kidding they're dying <laughs> uh
1: the first thing that happens this is something i didn't notice until now as we were kind of rushing to like okay yeah let's just watch the episode and get through uh, another podcast i was waiting for the episode to start and there is a longer than average pause on black. Yeah, there is. Between the opening theme and Wirt's first reveal as a 90s child.
0: Well, and also, this is something that we haven't mentioned as well, is that the beginning music, if you listen really closely at the end of it, there's a train. Mm-hmm. And so the, the excess time at the beginning really like uh, amplifies that.
1: It lets that sink in. Which is something, again, you wouldn't notice unless you've seen it 15 times like we have.
0: And also I think, you know, it's a really, like, uh, it's a tactical choice in that, like, it already lets you know that, like, something is kind of different.
1: Uh, we've also got a lovely emo song that plays as soon as we see work for the first time. And in this rush of emotion, we think, oh... This makes sense. This little emo boy is being sad all the time with his emo music and his, like, Smith's outfit and his high school 90s room. It Everything makes sense the first second it registers in your brain that, oh, where's a high school kid?
0: Well... It's not that he's a high school kid, but just that, like, it places him really accurately um, in a way that I think before I had kind of, like, not really considered because I just thought, okay, it's an anachronism, suspend my disbelief. And then this episode kind of, like, it's kind of like it reveals the trick because there are all these things that you suspend your disbelief on throughout the entire course of the season, of the season, um... And then they kind of come back in this really satisfying way. Like, I remember when I first saw this episode, the thing that really stood out to me was the fact that they're both wearing Halloween costumes. Because I swear to God, the first time I watched this series... I kind of didn't think about the fact that they're wearing really weird clothes. (laughs) I just thought to myself, like, oh, I don't know. It's a fairy tale. Like, he, he has a teapot on his head. I don't know.
1: It makes sense that they're just wearing weird clothing, because why wouldn't they be? This whole thing is weird. Of all the things that were greeted with at the very beginning of episode one, like a talking frog and a fishing fish, why would we question a pointy hat?
0: Right, Exactly.
1: Uh, we get to see a whole bunch of stuff about Wurt's room, including a clarinet in the background.
0: Yeah, this is one of my favorite things to analyze about this show, that there's so much detail in Wurt's room, and you only see it for like a split second, but there's like... Four or five different things in the background of the room and on his desk that are like really important. Like, um, my favorite detail is that there's a book on interior design on the floor, which would make sense as to like why he like knows really weirdly about Georgian versus Rococo interior decorating, <laughs> um, and like architecture. There's also, um, a poster in the upper right corner that's like a turtle that's like the turt that happen in the series um there's like a wall where there's a bunch of like scribbled notes like on the wall it's like maybe his poetry um and most notably this is the thing that most people catch is that there's a train on the desk so i want to lead into this episode even more than just like the details that we're talking about in his room i have never felt so seen by a character in the way that Wirt is kind of, like, introduced. Um, Especially, like, knowing, like, he played the bassoon, he plays the clarinet, and he writes poetry, and he's, like, really (laughs) sad and, like, really, really insecure and, like, lost and selfish. It's just... I, I remember the first time I saw this series, like just identifying so much with Word. Um even in the stuff that like makes him not necessarily like the greatest character, like the fact that he's so selfish and that he doesn't really like consider his brother or any of those things or that he doesn't want to join the marching band, although I was totally in the marching band. I was clarinet section leader. It it, it just as we as we talk about this episode and about Word's <laughs> shortcomings, I really want to say that like I identify with this character so much.
1: Especially in the way that it's revealed that all of these things are happening. The very fast and sad and dialog way we have Wirt agonizing and then seeing a tape and then freaking out about the tape and then throwing the tape away and then deciding to uh, revive the tape. There's so much about this tape and Wirt and their interplay that's so perfectly emphasizes all the things you're talking about about how and why you would identify with that because yes i too was a person that made mixed cds for girls i liked in high school
0: no exactly he made a mixtape of with clarinet and poetry and like i didn't do that but if someone had given me the idea too i absolutely would have
1: he makes a halloween costume because in part of that motivational uh, renaissance for work he decides to go out on halloween because it kind of looks like he decided not to fairly early on and he was going to stay inside I guess reading about rococo design and then he scavenges around and finds a christmas hat, a santa hat and then cuts off the fluff to make his hat and then he finds a civil war uh, uniform, <laughs> throws away the hat and then takes the cloak. I
0: want to say in the rest of the transitions in this episode from scene to scene, there's kind of this like really weird campy guitar riff that reminds me a lot of freaks and geeks.
1: Well, now, 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 now.
0: Yeah, it's just really wonderful. And it's like such a great break. Because this whole episode, like, they don't need to foreshadow things that happen. Mm -hmm. Even though there's a lot of, like, little um, Easter eggs that happen in this episode, they don't need to, like, beat it over our heads that, like, actually something really sinister is happening beyond all of this. So they kind of just take take a second to just kind of do a really, like, awkward high school story.
1: It's so wonderful that, again, in one of the ten episodes that they produce for the series, this is one of them. It's so... So stylistically drastically different, but for the purpose of the story, it's incredible that they were able to pull this off. Right. Uh, this is another thing that Patrick McHale talked about in his talk, was that one of his favorite episodes was episode nine because he's so happy it worked.
0: <laughs> and it so did. I, I can't even believe like as soon as I as soon as this episode started and then I realized that we were in the 90s, my jaw was on the floor. I was immediately kind of like, uh, I just, I had this feeling like, this is really special. This is something I've, like, I've never seen before.
1: Because then your brain goes to, how did they get into the unknown? Well, ding, that's the episode title, because it leaves the house clutching the tape and says, into the unknown. Little does he know that the place he's literally going is called the unknown. Exactly. Uh, one more thing about the costume, as somebody who was worked for Halloween two years ago, I can confirm that I went to a costume shop and found a Civil War uh, reenactors outfit, threw away the hat and any other little things, and that was my costume.
0: Yep, yeah, that was a really cute Halloween costume that we did.
1: It, because it's so easy to do, and you were Greg, you had a little uh, teapot fascinator.
0: Yeah, I had made it out of clay, but now they like just sell them at Hot Topic, it's fine. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's great.
1: And we also learned this episode why he's wearing a teapot, because again, you never really think about it. There's so many other things you have to think about to watch the series that you never think about the fact that for nine episodes, there's a teapot on a character's head.
0: Yeah, by all means, if you noticed that he was like wearing a teapot and you thought it was weird, please tweet at us because I have not heard anyone actually be like, yeah, I noticed and it was weird.
1: At Allison Trouge and at underscore Brian Hamilton. We'll put those links in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you because this show is a lot of fun to do. And I've heard from a lot of really wonderful people that have listened. And it warms my heart, especially uh, now that Halloween is coming around and everyone is jumping on over the garden wall again because it's the perfect season for it.
0: It doesn't warm my heart because um, I don't have one.
1: Uh, So we go on to learn that Greg wants to go on a frog hunt as foreshadowed earlier about uh, how important the frog is to their relationship and how Greg feels about work. We also have a really sweet moment with uh, Old Lady Daniels. Don't call me Old Lady Daniels. Yes, sir, yes, young sir, man. sir, young
0: man. Oh, it's so cute. <laughs> and he stole a rock from her garden, and he's, like, holding it.
1: Another vignette that finally pays off now. Uh, one of the first things we see in the series is Greg taking that rock.
0: Yeah, uh, didn't notice that until maybe the fifth watch through.
1: Uh, he was helping her out for in exchange for candy. Uh, it's Halloween, candy is free. Old Lady Daniel says nothing in life comes free.
0: <laughs> One of my favorite lines from the whole series.
1: This is something I have in my notes for a little bit later, but I want to talk about it now is that this is a wonderful chance to see the dynamic between Wirt and Greg when their lives are not in danger. It's the very same dynamic in terms of Greg being silly and Wirt being really self-conscious about it and himself, but now it's not skeletons and ghosts, it's high school and girls and a football game, which honestly is the same thing as somebody who survived high school and basically reacted to every social interaction like a uh, a ghost or skeleton.
0: But yeah, it's it's really interesting to think about this episode happening before all of the events in the season. And it's one of the last episodes.
1: I wonder if there's any sort of like over the garden wall machete order where somebody takes this episode and plays it for people immediately at the beginning and see how it plays out. How do you think that would work?
0: I would never do that for someone that had never seen it before, but I would be very interested to do nine, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten.
1: You, you can count better than George Lucas. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate the fact that the episode ends with, uh, oh, we need to name the frog. And the first thing that we see from them is them talking about the names for the frog. So I'm sure that kind of machete order would work. Uh, but who knows? We'll uh, we'll see if that a- that actually happens. Again, tweet at us if you've ever done that. That sounds weird and fun. Uh, the tape is then brought up as the object of the episode where Greg takes the tape and realizes oh this is something that i need to do. Do you think he was being playful and silly and like malicious quote unquote about giving the tape to Sarah or do you think he just wanted to give the tape to the person Wirt kind of sort of wants to give it to?
0: I think judging by Wirt's uh reaction later in the episode to Greg being like if you join the band then you can see Sarah more often. I think it's kind of like it's playing into the fact that Greg is trying to like get get Wurt out of his comfort zone. Uh I, I, I think it was kind of playful, but I also, I think he knew what he was doing, you know?
1: I guess so. Again, like like Nathan said last episode, thank you so much, Nathan, for uh, hanging out with us. Greg's not stupid. He knows what he's doing, even if he's naive, and Wart likes to insist he's stupid. Greg's not stupid.
0: So what's next?
1: We talked to some of Wort's friends who I didn't even bother writing down the names of because we never see them again.
0: Ooh, Wort's has got a crush on Sarah. One of them is Bunny. One of them's a bunny, one of them is a cowboy, and one of them is an egg.
1: Everyone knows you're an egg. Shut up. <laughs> one of my favorite lines in the series.
0: Shut up, Kathleen.
1: So the they're... egg
0: is Rondi, and the bunny is Kathleen.
1: Oh, great memory, Alison Trudge. For context, I take notes during the episodes, Alison Trudge doesn't, and I'm glad you remembered that, because that really helps things out a lot. I'm all jazz, baby. <laughs> they tell... Wert that Jason Funderburger is planning on asking Sarah out tonight, too, which is a nice callback to episode six when we learn Jason Funderburger is a person that causes Wert grief. And we are slowly building up this image of Jason Funderburger as lady, ladies' man extraordinaire and stealer of crushes. Esquire.
0: One of the biggest and most satisfying reveals in the entire series is the fact that Jason Funderburger's a nerd. Hey, Sarah. And she's so not into him. We'll
1: talk more about that as we go, but I cannot wait to break this down on the show. <laughs> Wharton and Greg leave the football game after uh, after that moment because Wharton realizes it's kind of pointless. There's another wonderful little guitar sting that's really cute. And then a wonderful poetry line from Wirt is, Is the dove never to meet the sea for once of the odious mountain? Which... Okay, great. (laughs) And
0: like, same, me, same, emotionally, all the time.
1: This indie music in this episode is so great, and I don't know if it was produced for the show, I'm sure it was, but I love that it has a part in the show, because it is so perfectly, uh, perfectly 90s. That guy got his act together, he's the total package, I can't compete, and I guess he's not wrong, maybe he has his life together, maybe he gets great grades, um, who knows what the total package means? But he's totally a nerd, and Sarah's not <laughs> like And what
0: even is his Halloween costume? He's just wearing, like, a green suit. It's almost like he's dressed as a frog for Halloween.
1: <laughs> I want to talk about the tape, too, because this is the point where Wert brings up the fact that there is poetry and clarinet on the tape, which is... I, I never recorded myself for any of the mixtapes I ever made for people in high school, but I'm sure that's a thing people did, and... It makes me feel a little bit better about myself that I never did that. Yeah,
0: same. I, like, would have if someone had suggested it, though.
1: But this is the time I also want to bring up the fact that we own this tape, you and I.
0: Yeah, we've never listened to it because we don't have a cassette player. (laughs) Uh,
1: I I forget when this was. At least a year or two ago, Mondo, uh, the amazing pop culture fandom company, came out with a limited edition tape of the show it is a replica of the tape it says for Sarah with a little handwriting and everything and it comes in a like plastic case I'm sure there's a word for this it everyone's comes in gonna be like a
0: classic cassette thing
1: the classic cassette thing thank you Alison Trudge we got two I got one and then I got you one for it was Christmas or your birthday one of those and yeah, I've never listened to it. I don't know what it is. I always thought it was the soundtrack to the show, but I don't think it is. I kind of think they actually recorded Elijah Wood playing clarinet and reading poetry. I don't. I, I'm
0: sure it wouldn't be Elijah Wood playing clarinet.
1: Allison Truge, I see you Googling it. I don't want to know. I want to listen to this with you for the first time. Spoiler free about a cassette okay, tape. Okay, <laughs> you
0: want to be spoiler free, but I don't want to be
1: spoiler. All right, free. we'll put a link to whatever Allison Trudge finds in the show notes, so you can see for yourself what is on this tape. But I don't want to know. Whenever I get a cassette tape at some point, we will listen to it together, and it's going to be really, really sweet. But what? Oh, oh, uh, Trudge just gave me a look. Of oh my god I can't believe what I'm seeing so again we'll put that in the show notes I don't want to know what it is because I want to be spoiler free about this tape that we own that was like twenty five dollars. Brian wants to be
0: spoiler free about life.
1: Well yeah life ha- has no spoilers I I envy sports fans for being able to be completely spoiler free because it is literally happening live in real time. Uh, yeah I don't know.
0: Uh, I do want to say that there is an ar- there's an article in Paste about the cassette. Um, and the headline is, exclusive, woo your high school sweetheart with words over the garden wall poetry cassette. <laughs> so, uh, thanks, babe.
1: <laughs> you're welcome. I guess you're my high school sweetheart, and I was wooing you with uh, with a tape.
0: But also, you're your own high school sweetheart, because you bought one for yourself.
1: I did. I love myself in high school. No, I don't. Uh, they realize. oh no, we didn't get the tape back from the high school friends, so they run back to grab it. They already slipped the tape into Sarah's pocket, and... Where and Greg go to the changing room to try to get it back. And there's a weird moment where they're accused of, like, spying on Sarah as she's changing.
0: It's actually kind of a sweet moment, if you ask me. It's like, there's this, like, jock, and he goes, Hey, are you peeping on Sarah? And then she comes out, and, she's, and he's just like, Hey, Sarah, there's lots of, like, creeps out there. Stay safe. And she's like, thanks, Jimmy. And it's, I think it's actually kind of a sweet moment.
1: That is sweet. My, my only thought about it was, why would the show, like, bring that up and...
0: I think it was to bring up the fact that, like, why didn't they go get it? It's it's just to answer a question. Like, why didn't they get it? That because makes sense. It gives
1: them it gives them a reason to not have the tape yet. So they go to a Halloween party where they know that Sarah is, even though uh, Wirt wasn't invited and he's self-conscious about it.
0: I bet he was invited. They just, like, lost the Facebook invite.
1: There was no Facebook back then. This was 1990-something.
0: We're 1980-something. We're not sure. I've heard somewhere that, like, someone thought it was 70s. I don't think it was 70s. There was a 70s kitchen, like, with 70s wallpaper, but... Um, at the house party that Sarah's at. But I don't think that, that means that it's not 90s or not 80s, because lots of people have outdated kitchens. And, like, a 70s kitchen is a staple.
1: I agree. Yeah, that kind of architecture is... <laughs> There's some real differences between the 70s kitchen and their 90s sensibilities. Because <laughs>
0: also, oh god, this is going to make me seem like a total idiot. They didn't have cassettes in the 70s, did they?
1: I forget when cassettes were invented. We're not going to Google... Oh, you're going to Google it. Awesome. While I recap I the next... I
0: refuse to... Release a podcast with without knowing something like that.
1: uh While I continue to recap what happens next, they go to the house where it was not invited, so he's concerned about it. But Greg rushes in, uh, much like Magnus, and he starts talking to everybody in the party about something. Wirt doesn't know what, so when he bursts in, he says, "Hey guys, I don't know what he said, but it wasn't true. Don't worry about it. Ha ha!" And everyone is so chill about it. Like, "Oh hey hey Wirt, how's it going?" He goes, "Oh, okay." I really, really enjoy that because his anxiety about Greg talking about any random set of things about, hey, that's Sarah, and this is the tape, and we like each other, blah, blah, blah. Or not, we like each other. I like Sarah. He doesn't want Greg to blurt it out. So his anxiety about that comes out in a really funny moment where the tension is diffused by, oh, hey, hey, Greg, how's it going? Or, hey, Wert, how's it going?
0: Uh. Cassettes were invented in
1: the 60s. The 60s? Oh, so in any time between the 60s and the 90s, this episode could be set. I'm still pretty positive it's the 90s. <laughs> uh, they go into the kitchen to talk to Sarah. And one of my favorite moments of the episode is when Sarah says, Oh, word, I was just wondering if uh, I was just asking around if you were here or not.
0: Which makes me believe that he was invited.
1: He was invited. He just told himself that so he could justify not going out at all earlier.
0: It's just so clear that she's into him. It's so clear that she's into work.
1: And when we see Jason Funderberger next, uh, he goes, hey, Sarah. Oh, hey, Jason Funderberger. And there's so many hints dropped in this episode and the rest of the episode that she is so not into him. Not the least of which is when he tries to hold his hand and she says, you can stop touching me now. <laughs>
0: You know, I I just considered something that also, I think because I've watched it so many times, I forgot this, but also this episode is kind of a reveal of Sarah. It's mm-hmm. the first episode she appears in, and we've been hearing about her the entire series and just hadn't, like, noticed her, which is why, like, for me, I actually, like, weirdly was shipping the bird and Wurt <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, oh, well, I mean, Beatrice is who's around, and they, like, clearly, their characters were written to have, like, some chemistry. Um, but, and so I was more attached to that storyline because, like, I didn't even know Sarah. But then, like, this is the reveal of who Sarah is.
1: The Bird and the wort is my favorite used song.
0: <laughs> I hate you. That
1: was a joke for, like, three people because the overlap of used fans and podcast listeners, I'm sure, is a very, very small uh Venn diagram. True. The other thing I want to bring up before we leave the party to go to the graveyard is uh, two small details that we overhear in conversations that they pass. One is, oh, there's a bunch of bat games. There's one old cat, two old cat, baseball, um, where they talk about different games. And they mention two old cat.
0: (laughs) It makes me so happy.
1: And the other is uh, before work runs into sarah we can hear sarah saying yeah i used to be really really good at ballet but my mom wanted to be a wrestler so (laughs) it was so funny
0: fun fact dwayne the rock johnson was a wrestler
1: you brought it around i did you gave a rock fact that was appropriate in the middle of an episode bravo truge i'm so proud of you
0: thank you i'd like to thank dwayne the rock johnson for going to my high school
1: they decide to go to the graveyard because that's apparently a thing that all the high schoolers do because uh, it's really cool. They just kind of hang out and drink age-appropriate drinks. You know.
0: <laughs> they re- they're really insistent on that one because it is a kid's show.
1: I'm positive that was a Cartoon Network note where they made this episode and just decided, oh, yeah, we're going to drink some stuff and uh, go to the thing. And I'm sure some executive was like, oh, what if they're drinking booze? You should change it and make it very explicit. So they made it explicit for a joke.
0: You know. I disagree. I disagree a lot. I feel like that was totally meant to happen from the very beginning. Because, of course, like, if you think about a bunch of kids in the graveyard, in a graveyard, you would think to yourself, like, oh, they're, they're drinking booze. Like, you can't not have that association. So the joke is like, well, of course they're doing that. And also, when you actually see them in the graveyard, they literally have juice boxes. (laughs) They are literally drinking juice.
1: Okay, so they really go hard on the juice thing. Yeah. They go to the graveyard. Uh, Wirt and Greg decide to hang back and uh, kind of follow them so that they're not directly involved, but they can at least watch. Uh, and they're still trying to get the tape back, which is in Sarah's pocket, and she doesn't see it, so they're trying to get it back from her. Uh, when they get to the graveyard, which is called...
0: Eternal garden.
1: Eternal garden, hmm, one part of the setup. And they're hiding behind a gravestone, watching everyone uh, watching everyone do their witches gathering, as Greg calls it. And whose gravestone is that?
0: Quincy Endicott. Quincy
1: Endicott, you were not lying when you mentioned that. in episode nine, Quincy Endicott's gravestone is heavily featured.
0: I mean, not heavily featured, but it's pretty apparent. Though, it's pretty
1: apparent. It they watch as Jason Funderburger is telling a scary story and the ghost got closer and closer. And as he's doing that, he's touching Sarah's hand, trying to hold her hand. And Wirt is freaking out about this.
0: And Sarah's like, please don't touch me.
1: Which happens after Wirt turns away. He doesn't see that. All he can see is uh, Jason Funderburger trying to make a move on Sarah.
0: And it doesn't work, but he doesn't see that.
1: So at this point, Wirt tactically deploys Greg to go disrupt the uh the graveyard witch circle. And Greg does this by being the headless elephant. Ooh. And in another one of Wert's anxieties about the uh about how he's seen by everyone else, there's a moment where someone goes, Isn't that Wert's brother? And he's freaking out about Greg uh, making a fool of himself and ruining everything again, even though he was the one that he sent it. it, It's this catch-22 of Wirt being a high school kid that he just can't, he can't reconcile.
0: It's like, it just reminds me of like that whole, you are so awkward at that age. Like everyone is just like so awkward because you're like, wow, I have a body and it's changing and I don't (laughs) understand it. It's just like it's a constant hell.
1: We see Wirt trying to hide behind a gravestone because someone notices uh, Wirt there. And they go, hey, we can see you. You're right there. And he tries to play it off. Oh, hey, guys, I'm just here.
0: And that's when the police show up.
1: The police show up.
0: And then the police are like, you're all under arrest. And then they all run away and they're like, wait, just kidding. Happy Halloween.
1: (laughs) Just kidding. Happy Halloween. This happens earlier in the episode. We didn't bring it up, but that is one of my favorite characters who we don't actually see. It's just a guy in a cop car.
0: And then they're all running away and Greg and Wirt are climbing up the wall. And as they're on top of the wall, they see Sarah take out the cassette and she goes, wait, what's this? And then Jason Funderburger goes, we should listen to it. And then... Word is like, well, it's all over. He
1: pulls his face in this really grotesque adventure time way. This is the most adventure time shot of the show, where they do some like really weird, grotesque, silly like facial expressions for Wirt in a show that's relatively grounded when it comes to their human designs.
0: But it works so well, because if that was happening to me, that's what I would be doing.
1: Exactly, exactly. So they climb up a wall, and uh, the police officer says to get down from that wall... And what do they do, Truge?
0: They jump over the other side of the wall.
1: They literally go over the garden wall, because it's the eternal garden, and there's a wall, and they go over it. And they kind of play it up when they keep bringing up, hey, get down from that wall. And then they go over on the other side and says, no, not the other side, this side.
0: And then when they're over there, they, uh, Greg kind of like reaches into a bush and finds a frog. And work kind of goes, I don't want anything to you with anything to do with you or that frog. And then that is when the train comes, and they go tumbling down, and a folk song plays as they basically tumble back in time into like the unknown.
1: That musical shift from Smith style nineties music to a folk song that is gonna be much more of the style of the unknown is such a great shift and really does show all the ridiculous things that are about to happen. This is also one of my favorite moments in the show for seeing the dynamic between Wharton and Greg before it's a life and death matter. And this is their first life and death matter. And some may argue their only one because this is the only like quote unquote real thing that happens is that they're about to get uh, like narrowly missed by a train and then pass out in a river. But I loved Having things come to a head where Wirt says, oh, uh, you and your dad, you both ruin everything. And this is only the second mention of the father, because as we learn in episode four, oh, uh, Greg is my brother because they had him after getting remarried with my stepdad. And I'm sure that plays a lot bigger part in Wirt's brain than it comes across in the show. But every time it's brought up, it's a big deal. Right. There's this really dramatic editing from uh, a few very fast-paced shots to mostly black, alternating almost in like a strobe fashion that's very, very unsettling for how intense the things that are happening are. Where? As they're falling down the...
0: I don't think it's like a strobe. I think it's like them going through the trees.
1: It's them going through the trees, but they're cutting back and forth between very fast shots and then black as that folk song plays and the sound cuts out too. And we know something big is happening because this is something that the show has never done before. Editing wise. It's always very plain to, uh, plainly presented everything that's happening with the exception of cloud city, I guess with the vignettes, but this is the first time they're taking such an editorial stance on how they're presenting what's happening.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then they're sinking in the river or the pond, the lake, wherever. Um, And then we see them kind of fade to black, fade to them being in this tree with a bunch of
1: birds. It is one of the coolest shots we get to see in the show because it's all of their faces just kind of lined up very Miyazaki style.
0: Yeah, and then... He mistakes the main, like, mom bird for Beatrice. And then we find out that that is Beatrice's family. (laughs) And that she had dumped Wirt and the frog on the doorstep. And Wirt goes, I need to go out and find my brother. And then the bird goes, you'll be no good to him dead. And then he said, I was never good to him alive either. It's
1: so, so heartbreaking. And And that's how the episode ends. I wonder if the reason they did this structurally was to set up that one line. I was never any good to him alive either.
0: I always thought that was kind of dramatic, but also it it is it's worth like growing as a character and realizing that he's selfish.
1: Like, I'm sure that that kind of flashback was what was going through his head as he passed out in the frozen lake in the unknown to be revived by the bird family. Right. Uh, this is another moment that I forget happens at the end of this episode. Like Adelaide at the end of episode six, I keep forgetting that this is the ending of this episode where there's like f- like a minute or so where they are back in the unknown and setting up the last episode of the series.
0: I think it's to show that, like, it's not like we switch dimensions again and all of a sudden, like... We're somewhere else. I think it's to show the logical progression that, like, this is a a backstory.
1: Exactly, exactly. It grounds things back in the unknown to set up the next episode. And if they had ended the episode on them tumbling into the river, it would have been too harsh of an ending, I think. Because, again, every episode ends with somebody trudging along, moving forward to the next stage of their journey. And in this case, that's Wirt going through the snow with the frog to try to save Greg.
0: Yeah. It's pretty intentional and that, mo- that it moves the story forward, that it doesn't stop on a, on a low note. Or I mean, it does stop on a low note. It doesn't stop on a, on a static
1: note. And yeah, that's episode nine. It is bleak and sad and it gives whole new context to all the other episodes we've seen so far. Uh, there's so much there, and I love that everything has been set up so perfectly for this reveal, and now everything s- makes so much more sense about their characters.
0: Yeah, this episode is like a puzzle piece, and it finally puts a bunch of stuff together, and it made me be like, "Oh, I should have been a little bit more of a like a better like I, I should have interrogated the storyline more," um, which I think is also like a really incredible lesson in of itself to young watchers of this series, the lesson that it teaches you is to not take things at face value, which is, I have never seen that. I mean, there there are tons of children's stories being like, don't read a book by its cover, on a, you know, judge a book by its cover. But there's not a ton being like, dissect the media that you're watching and see what's actually happening.
1: I know for a lot of people of our generation, that was a series of unfortunate events, where that was the first piece of literature that was like, please think more critically about this because there's a lot more going on. And as you continue through those books, we get to see a whole bunch of new layers that you can piece together as a young reader because it's so brilliantly written. I think for uh, this generation, that is over the garden wall, something that you can think super critically about and be rewarded for it. For sure. It's not like <laughs> Thomas a Tank Engine where people get really, really obsessed with the uh, <laughs> how everything is built and how silly it is, but there's no real purpose to it because it's just a bunch of kids' stories about trains. Uh, Over the Garden Wall is another story about a train, haha, but there's so much... That you're rewarded for analyzing it. Right. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening.